Monday, Monday afternoon, theologian. In the midst of a storm, we are starting this episode. If the power goes out, we're going to resume this with flashlights. I should have gotten six or eight of them. Uh huh. Just in case. <laughs> have to record on Zoom through candlelight. I think that's how Abe Lincoln did it. I'm sure that must have been. I got a question for you. Have you ever asked God for something and he answered you, but the answer you got wasn't the one you had expected? The first thing that comes to mind when you ask a question in that manner is yes, but I think the most common instance of that was when I was dating. So many times it was answered differently. <laughs> yeah. There were a number of young ladies in which I had an interest and I threw out a request and uh -huh. I got an answer, but it was not necessarily the one I was looking for. It was not an answer in the affirmative? Yeah, those, uh, those relationships kind of came to a halt not too long after that in so many cases. Yeah, that certainly has happened in my life as well. Like, Lord, should I pursue this one? Because she sure is sweet. And his answer was no. <laughs> More often than not, my answers came from her mouth when she said no. no. Yeah, <laughs> gratefully, especially with the second person that I have in mind when that happened, God said no that time so that he could say yes to the person who became my spouse. And in two weeks, we will celebrate our 45th year together as married couples. Kind of glad he said no to that first one. Well, I think that's kind of leading into what we're trying to discuss today, because we've sort of been in this interruptions idea in a broad general sense. And one of the ways that God interrupts us is to give us answers to our big questions. But sometimes the messages he gives us aren't really what we expect. So why is that? That's what we want to explore today. Well, fortunately, there's a lot of material out there that we've taken a look at to kind of give us a, a little bit of help to guide our thinking on how we might answer that question. Mm -hmm. And in an article titled, The Unexpected Answers of God by John Bloom, found on a website called desiringgod.org, he provides a good look at how our expectations don't always line up with God's expectations. Mm. And that's why, you know, fairly often when we ask God a big question, his answer is not what we expect, at least not at first. Yep. And in fact, here's a verse from the book of James, which John Bloom quotes to help us get into that article as well. And it shows us where this difference is between our expectations and God's answers because it shows that our expectations are not necessarily lined up, at least not at first, with God's expectations. And James says, James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We see James is saying that we often ask the Father for what we think we long for, but he sees that what we're asking for are things we want, but not necessarily what we need the most. He wants to have us have full joy and satisfaction, and that can only come from him. Yeah. So he answers differently than we expect. 
Mm-hmm. Paul was trying to tell us the same thing where in Romans 8, 27, he says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. You know, and the preceding verse talks about, um, you know, groanings and rumblings, and I I kind of got the feeling that sometimes our prayers are almost cave-like, uh, caveman-like, <laughs> you know, sort of, ooh, 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 and the Spirit goes, what he's really trying to say is. <laughs> so true. I'm glad you brought that up about Paul from Romans 8, 27, because, man, that's so true. And we know that he struggled with answers to prayer even in his own life. So he's a guy who understands that. And I think that he is showing us, as does James, that there's something deep within us that longs for God to love us. And because we know that God loves us, we tend to expect what that love should look like. We know that he wants to answer our prayers, but here's the problem. We don't know ourselves very well. So we all have these blind spots about what's really in our hearts. So we're often blind to some of the places within us that are selfish or sinful, or sinfully selfish, (laughs) and sometimes we might not even have a clue what will be required of us if we get the answer we're hoping for from God. And because we're human, we can't help but have unreal, even romantic imaginations and expectations about what God's answer to our prayers will look like. Mm -hmm. And because our imaginations don't always match God's reality, we're often unprepared for the answers we receive from Him. His answers frequently don't look like answers. They look like problems. They look like trouble. They look like loss or disappointment or affliction or conflict or sorrow or increased selfishness. His answers can cause deep soul wrestling and expose some of those sins and doubts and fears that we have. Mm -hmm. They are not what we expect, but we often don't see how they correspond to our prayers. But here's the upside. They're still the right answers. Yes, they are. So what should we expect then when we ask God big questions? Here are some of the responses given to us by John Bloom in his article. He suggests the following. If we ask God for greater, deeper love for him, what should we expect to receive? We might see answers that give us even greater awareness of our deep and pervasive sinful depravity, because those who are forgiven much love much, and those who are forgiven little, love little. Oh. Reference there to Luke seven forty seven. And if we ask God to help us love our neighbors as ourselves, Mark twelve thirty one, which sounds noble, what should we expect to receive? Well, we might receive answers that force us to give unexpected attention to a neighbor, whom we might not even put in that category of neighbor, Luke ten twenty nine, which can be inconvenient and even irritating. Yeah, a lot of irritating folks that would be considered our neighbors, and yet we're still supposed to love them, as hard Mm -hmm. as that might be. Yep. If we ask for God's nearness because we believe that it is good for us to be near to God, we find that in Psalm 73, 28, what should we expect to receive then? Answers that break our hearts, for God is near to the brokenhearted. The psalmist tells us that from 34, 18. And if we ask God to make us living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1, what should we expect to receive? Well, answers that break and humble our hearts because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, Psalm 51, 17. 
how many times have we had our spirits broken? And after it's over, it all makes sense. Yep. So perhaps we want to ask God for a deeper experience of his grace. With that, what should we expect? Well, answers that oppose our pride and humble our hearts. James tells us that in verse 4, 6. And if we ask God for his kingdom to come, Matthew 6, 10, in our lives and in the world around us, then what should we expect to receive? Well, how about answers that reveal our deep spiritual poverty? Because the kingdom is given to the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3. Yeah, again, we want one thing. It often looks very different. And if we ask God for greater wisdom and discernment, what should we expect? A steady stream of mind-bending, ever more confusing answers that are difficult to understand and work through because our powers of discernment are trained by constantly practicing the distinguishing of good from evil. You can read more about that in Hebrews 5.14. That is so true. And that sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? <laughs> if we ask God to increase our faith, Luke 17.5, then what should we expect? Well, we can expect to be repeatedly put into situations where we discover that our perceptions are not trustworthy. Therefore, we are forced to trust Christ's promise, for we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And how hard is that? Because you long to walk in faith, but so often we're limited by what we can see. Mm -hmm. And this next one is, is kind of a hard one. So don't be surprised if we uh, pinprick the soul here a little bit. Mm -hmm. If we ask God to help us stop serving money so that we can serve him more wholeheartedly, what should we expect? How about an uncomfortable amount of opportunities to give money away or expenses that deplete any reserves we may be stashing away? Answers that push us to despise or ignore or turn away from or release our love of money so that we can more closely cling to him, as outlined in Luke 16, 13. Wow. Those are not things that I would normally think of if I'm saying, God, help me to stop serving money. <laughs> <laughs> but those things are certainly right, and they can certainly be some of the ways that he answers our big request. And I think that's one of the amazing paradoxes of Christianity. Mm -hmm. you know, if you if you have much much is expected, but it may not be an expectation that you're expecting. So true. <laughs> Here's one: if we ask for our joy to be made fuller, John sixteen twenty four, to experience more happiness in God, what should we expect to receive? Well, how about answers that cause earthly joys we once thought gain to become empty and hollow? We can expect answers that include personal loss so that we're pushed to search for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.8. So what you're really saying is that when we ask these hard questions, even though they sound kind of simple and some of the basic premises of Christianity, we should expect the unexpected. Yes. When God begins to answer our prayers, we often find that his answers are disorienting. Our circumstances might take us to unexpected places. Mm -hmm. Our health might deteriorate. Some of our relationships might develop painful dynamics. And haven't we both seen that and so many more? 
Yeah. Oh my. Yes. That's so true. And sometimes financial problems might happen and spiritual and or emotional struggles might emerge or get worse. And these things that happen immediately after we've asked God a big question might seem disconnected from our question. In fact, we can feel like we're going backward because we're not clearly moving forward, at least not based on the idea that we had about what moving forward should look like. And like the psalmist and Job, we cry out in painful confusion and exasperation when what's really happening is God is answering our prayers. We just expected that answer to look and feel much different. Yeah. I'm thinking about a couple of people that we have known recently. They were asking big questions. One was a young man who was fully on his way to a career path, and God kept answering his questions, but not in the way he expected. He's going a very different direction in his career path right now than he was two years ago. And yet he's loving what he's doing now, and he's succeeding in it. So clearly, we do cry out sometimes in painful confusion, and we get so exasperated because we say, God, why are you not answering my questions? And through all these verses, we're seeing that he's probably saying, I am. (laughs) And that's who he is. Mm -hmm. I am. I am. I have mentioned before this guy named Stan Telchin. He passed away, went up to heaven in 2012. And uh, he has an amazing book. It's called Betrayed. And he gives his story, his testimony in that book, true story. And he was asking some huge questions. And he tells how God answered those questions in that book. So we're going to condense that. And this all shows up in the book. And we will link that book in our description to this podcast. But Stan is the guy that he was happily sailing through life as a very successful Jewish businessman. And he was shocked and betrayed when his 21-year-old daughter, Judy, called and said, Dad, I've got some big news this weekend. I'm coming home so I can tell you the news. And he was so worried that she was pregnant. And she gets home, and at the supper table, he says, don't keep us in suspense. What is the big news? She said, I've become a believer in Jesus. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. She explained that she had discovered the truth and that she wholeheartedly believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So she was telling the family about her conversion, and that threw Stan and the whole family into philosophical chaos. So Stan started diving into a deep study, a quest for truth, not so he could discover the truth so he could embrace Messiah, but because he wanted to prove his daughter wrong. We've all heard stories about when that happens, and this one ends in a way that you can probably expect. Several months into his quest, Stan accepted an invitation from a friend to attend a national convocation of Messianic Jews. And he was so used to working the crowd at conventions and things like that because of his business that he thought, I'll just do the same thing and I will pester everybody I can for information. And I'm going to get all the information that I need in my arsenal so that I can prove everybody wrong and to tell them just how wrong they are. Well, one night, After attending several meetings at this convocation, Stan just could not sleep. He could not stop thinking about all the things he had been learning on this journey and all of the scripture verses he had been reading in the Old Testament. And he says in his book, Betrayed, that he had arrived at what he called a point of crisis. He was thinking, hmm, if the Bible is true, 
and I am coming to the conclusion that it is, then what does that mean? Does it mean that I actually do believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And then he thought, and if I come to the conclusion that the Bible is, in fact, God's inspired word, how come I just cannot bring myself to even speak the words, Jesus is the Messiah? So that night, he was staying up late, he was tossing and turning, he couldn't sleep, and he asked his roommate, Art, to pray for him. He said, would you pray, Art? He says, of course I will. He said, so Art prayed something really simple, because I think he was really tired. <laughs> and Art says, God, give Stan your peace and resolve his inner conflict. Amen. Simple prayer, right? You know, sometimes the simplest ones are the, the most effective. Oh, man, profound. So the next morning after that crazy night, Stan wakes up, he goes to the cafeteria, he sits down with a bunch of guys that he's been getting to know around this table. And somebody asks him to give the prayer for the meal that day. And he was a little surprised by that because I think they knew that he was not a believer. And for them to ask him to pray was a little out of the ordinary, but he decided, okay, I can do that. So he bows his head and in his book, this is what he says. I'm quoting from him. Exactly. This is what he said at that prayer. Praised be thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. I thank you for the fellowship and the friendship at this table. I thank you for what we've learned at this meeting. I ask you now to bless this food, and I do so in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. And Stan said that for a moment, he just sat there after praying that prayer, startled even at his own words. He was amazed at what he had just prayed. <laughs> he said, I had not planned that. And that amazing prayer was not lost on the other guys at that table. One of the guys said, Stan, you're a believer. <laughs> so all the other guys jumped up and they started hugging him. And there were quite a few joyful tears shed that day. Yeah, it, it's interesting that in a very unscripted, unplanned manner, he, he did what the the Bible asks us to do, which is confess the Savior before men. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I imagine some very important relationships uh, began anew at that very moment. Yeah. And we thing. can see from that story that God definitely answered Stan's biggest questions. And he still answers our biggest questions today. Mm -hmm. But they might not quite appear exactly as we expected or how we might have heard from him when we first started approaching him. Right. And you know, after what we've seen here, it's almost 100% guaranteed that some of our fellow theologians have been asking some of those same questions and thinking that the answers aren't coming, but they're just not seeing that God is answering them in a way that they're not expecting. So why don't we pray for those theologians and ask God to open their eyes to the answers that he's giving so that they can see that because he loves us so much, he wants the very best and for our joy to be full in this lifetime. So he's giving us what we need. I love that. I'd love to pray a prayer like that. Lord, I lift up these people who might be listening right now, and they've been seeking and they've been asking big questions and they've been perplexed, maybe frustrated maybe even mad, and they're not even sure what or who they're mad at. Maybe they've been mad at you. Maybe they've been shaking their fist at you, and yet they keep coming up against people like us 
who are sharing true stories and things from scripture that are creating this dissonance in their spirits. And maybe they're just looking to say, why aren't you answering my questions? And maybe you have been. And so God, I pray that you'll clear up that conflict within their own spirit, just like that roommate Art prayed for Stan, and that you'll clear up that conflict and give them peace, help them to find some peace in their quest. And if that peace comes because they finally get to embrace you as Lord, then we're just going to rejoice as will the angels in heaven. And I pray that they're going to find that peace that they've been looking for. And Lord, Rick and I have said over and over again that we know without a doubt in our own lives because of our personal experiences and the experiences of many, many people that we know personally, that that real source of peace is you. You are at the heart of everybody's sense of peace. And so I pray that these fellow theologians will find you They'll embrace you and be embraced by you, and I thank you that you do that. I'm so grateful that you will happily reveal yourself and put their hearts at rest once and for all, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's also very likely that some of our theologians, like Stan, may have come to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior that they need to wash away their sins, but they don't necessarily know what to do or how to take that first step and verbalize what they now believe in their heart. So maybe we can walk them through something to nail down that decision and so that they can hang on to what is a very real event in their life where they can honestly say, I have come to the point that I too am a believer. I'll do that. And it could be something so simple, just from the heart, something like this. God, I recognize that you are real. I recognize that Jesus is who he claimed to be in Scripture. I understand that I can't save myself in my own strength or out of my own sense of right and wrong. I understand that I need forgiveness. And so I know that what Jesus did for me on the cross is the source of that forgiveness because he atoned for my sins. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Help guide me through your Holy Spirit in this walk that I'm beginning I want to take a step onto your path. I want to walk the Jesus walk, and not just out of a religious duty, but because of a relationship with God that you make possible, because Jesus and what he's done for me bridged the gap and has restored me into a right relationship with you so that I can walk with you right through this life and even through the struggles of my life and into eternity. Thank you that you do all of that for me, and you do it so freely. It's a sweet surrender when I understand how much you did for me and that you want what's best for me. And you want the satisfaction that comes from knowing you to be real. And I want that satisfaction. I want to be satisfied in you and not through any other means that I may have tried. Thank you, Father, for giving me yourself. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's hope that by simply talking about some of the questions and the unexpected answers that both you and I and our fellow theologians can start looking at what's happening in our lives with a new expectation based on the promises that we see in the Bible. Yeah, it's good to be reminded of that because I think that it's easy to creep into that old mentality that we want to tell God what we want him to do for us instead of asking him, how do you see this? <laughs> And what would you say is the right answer to that one? 
you know, I, I saw the title of an article the other day, and it was very simply, God is not a gumball machine. Oh, man. <laughs> I love know, that. We don't put in the quarter and turn the knob and get what we want. Nope. Uh, it's a little more complex than that, yeah. but always for our ultimate good. And that's a really good word, and I appreciate that. Rick, it's been good to get uh, spend some time with you. I'm so grateful that even though I've been hearing thunder in the background, the lights stayed on. We're still in Zoom, didn't have to get out our flashlights, and we made it through the end of this particular episode. And fellow theologians, if you'd like to look at some further resources to help you in your walk, feel free and visit our website. That's pretty easy to find. It's a little lengthy, but you can type. It's mondayafternoontheologians.podia.com. And we do hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, Afternoon Theologians. 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 Theologians.